God is the creator of life. A Bible says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1.5 For you were created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My friend was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. And I was thrown together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me was written in your book, for one of them came to be. John 1, 49, 14 from 16. For I know the plans I have for you, cares the Lord. Plans prepared for you, for not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, I stand before you today proudly as someone who is pro-life simply because of the Bible teaches that God loves and values not only the child in the womb, but God loves the child that perhaps was born with a birth defect. God loves and values the child with autism. God loves the elderly person in the nursing home that doesn't even know her children. These all have value, not because of their contribution to society, but because they're created in the image of God. We bear His mark. We are different from animals. We're not to be thrown away as a, something that we discard like an extra cat. And I would hope that you and I would do everything in our power from this day forward to help stand for and preserve life in our great nation. I'm fully aware that between 40 and 50% of us today have been affected firsthand by abortion. In no way do I want to bring and offer condemnation. I fully understand the firsthand part. I mean, it takes two to have a baby. Don't let the devil beat you up, but let us do everything we can in our power to help children at all stages of life because they're valuable to God. We have a crisis pregnancy center in our town, and in our church, if someone has an unwanted pregnancy, we will do everything we can to help you through that pregnancy. We'll help you if you want to get that baby adopted. We want to, do a, we want to not only have a position, but we want to be able to help people in very, very practical ways. God stands for life. And so do we. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. Listen, thrilled that you're here today. Um, as you can see, room's pretty full. Uh, I'd love for you to try Saturday night. In my opinion, it's one of my favorite services. More room on Saturday or even Sunday first service. But I uh, hope you'll give that a shot. Turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. And this is a very sad day for me. You're asking why. I'm glad you, it's the last day of Texas duck season. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, I asked my wife if I could play hooky last night, and she told me, no, you're the pastor, so I'm just teasing. There's no place I'd rather be. I enjoy being with you. Not only do I enjoy being with you on Sunday morning and teaching you the Bible, it is my calling in life. It is the most important thing I do. 
to teach as many people as I can the truths of God's Word. That's why in every sermon that I offer, well, usually there's 15, perhaps even 20 scriptures helping you see life through the lens of the Bible. I'm finishing a series I started earlier in the year called 2020 Vision. It was for the new year. Uh, this little guy behind me here, a phoropter, it's what the optometrist uses, you remember, when they adjust uh, your vision, is this one better, is that one better? And what they want to do is they want to adjust your seeing through glasses or contact lenses so you can see normally, so you can see 2020. And my thrust in this series is, is that the Bible adjusts the way that we look at life. And if I will see life through the lens of the Bible, if I will adjust my eyesight, I'll have a better life. I'll be more pleasing to God. In this January series for the new year, we've looked at four different, like the legs on a chair. When you sat down today, I doubt you had any question whether that chair would hold you. It is strong enough. It is balanced. It needs all four legs. And I have tried to teach you each week about vision number one for, most importantly, your relationship with God. Then we talked about vision with your family, the people at Thanksgiving, the most important group. Last week we talked about vision for your work or for your job. And today we'll talk about the fourth leg. It is vision for our local church family. Now you've perhaps never heard a sermon like this, but I would say this statement. Outside of our biological family, the Bible teaches that our church family is the most important group of people in our life. This is a biblical perspective, and uh, I'm going to explain why today, but before I do, I want to give you a living example from one of our members, JP, and uh, he's at the men's retreat now, but listen to what he says about how the church, the people, how God used to change his life, and then we'll be in Acts 2. Hello, my name is JP Welsh, and I've been going to Church on the Rock since 2001. And I was asked to speak about how it has changed my life and how God has changed my life. And to tell you that, I got to kind of back up a little bit. In 1997, I was bartending at Chili's and I got my name on a plaque at Bennigan's when they opened up for drinking a hundred different beers. I was the first one in town to do that and I was proud of that at that time. And since then, while I was at Chili's, I met somebody from Church on the Rock. She invited me to church even helped me get involved in serving because she was a servant here. And it has just truly changed my life, just being able to be around fellow Christians and being able to do things to further his kingdom. I've been in, I've had good times and bad times. I've been able to help people when they needed help. I've been able to serve in this church. And I've also been in time of need a couple times. My son, when he was born in 2011, he needed open heart surgery and he was airlifted to Little Rock and there was a pastor and a couple other people at the hospital before he was airlifted. We had people there when he was having his surgery in Little Rock, even had somebody just go up and spend a few nights with him in Little Rock when he was there so my wife could get some rest. There are just people all through this church that love serving God and I love being a part of that. We have done things around the world and it is just a great community and it's an awesome place to serve that's what me and my wife do we come to church on saturday night and sunday i'm here serving god and i love this church and i love being able to make a difference for his kingdom amen give jp a big hand let's talk about three things this morning first we'll talk about an inside look at the first church the early church what church was like perhaps a pattern for us 
Secondly, we'll talk about how the local church family can help us connect to God and grow spiritually, or the benefits. And lastly, we'll talk about what God expects us to do in the local church family as well. Let's begin. Acts chapter 2, the first church family. Now, I want to paint a a context for you. Uh, There was not a church until the day of Pentecost. Prior to that, there were Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, of course, died on the cross. Uh, He was resurrected from the dead. He came back to the earth for a period of time, and then he ascended to heaven. But he told his followers, stay in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from the Holy Spirit, and then go out and build this thing called the church, which is simply followers of Jesus Christ in community together. Well, lo and behold, the day of Pentecost came. Now, for the Jews, they would have feasts. And on these big feasts, they would come to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate. Just like the Muslims today go to Mecca. So you've got Jews from all over the Roman Empire showed up at this day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. Well, an incredible thing happened. A room with 120 people in it. Now there's 3,000 converts to Christ. 3,000 believers that aren't anxious to go home. They found the Savior of the world. They've had a lifestyle change. They don't, they're running out of money. They don't have places to live. And the body of Christ comes together. Let's read about it. Um, and I want you to notice particularly the first four words. And say this with me. Acts 2.42. It says, all the believers devoted all of them first of all it was natural and normal for every christian to connect to the body of believers and they weren't casually connected they were devoted to it it was, they were committed to it just as you're committed to your family or committed to your job and they're devoted to four things first the apostles teaching which means the bible And this is why we take so much time. This is why this part of the service is so important because we've had a chance to worship God. We've had a chance to worship God with our offering. We had a chance for a little fellowship, you know, between and after service. But now to learn God's word. And that was the first thing that they did. But number two, they were committed to fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It implies deep relationships. It's more than casual friendships that, you know, how many times often do you see someone and you recognize their faith, face, but you don't know them from Adam? Uh, this is different. This is a friend. I met a, a, a guy in a first service who came here probably 13 years ago. God radically changed his life and he moved back home to Tennessee and he was in the service, uh, uh, for service, he said, I moved back. I can't wait to be a part of it. And it was just like I'd met a long lost family member. It's that deep kind of commitment. Number three, they were sharing meals. In other words, they liked to eat together. They had relationship. They had fun. They talked about duck hunting, and then the conversation shifted to turkey hunting. And you understand what I'm talking They had fun together. They, they had a meal, and then they had the Lord's Supper after. Now, verse 5 is interesting. They sold their possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, I don't believe that that was an all-time uh, practice. I believe that that was a practice in response to the need because there were 3,000 people that didn't have homes to stay in, didn't have jobs, didn't have money, and the church came together to help them. Now, helping is consistent, but this is not a call to Christian communism or communes, but they, they did that. Now, look at verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple. This was large gathering. It's like today. We're gathered in a, a temple worship service. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And this is where church, how many know you can, you can attend a service, but you're not assembled into the congregation until you get in some smaller connecting point. 
It could be Dorothy's class on Wednesday night. It could be a life group that's going to be starting, which, by the way, the way we help people get connected is through life groups. Uh, most of them meet on Wednesday night, but this Wednesday night at 5.30, we're giving free hamburgers, and they're really good, and then we're going to introduce you to all the different groups that are meeting from now to the end of school. It's like a 10, 12-week uh, opportunity. You can come in here, you meet them, talk to them, and try to figure out where you can get connected. Well, this is what it, this is what it was like. As wonderful as it is to come to the weekend, there's more to it than a sermon and a song and a donut. Everybody said? Yeah, it's, it's relationally connected with people. And here's the great thing. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the mission of the church is that people are coming to Christ, uh, populating heaven. It's, it's what we do. And that's what a local church family of believers is all about. And I want to suggest to you that's a model for us. This word church in the Greek, it means ekklesia. It is called out ones. We are called out from the world and its practices. And we're called to follow Jesus in community with other believers. Um, I would even, you know, obviously, there's one church. Uh, it, it, people often ask, well, how many churches are in Texarkana? And there's two answers. One side of my mouth says, uh, there's one church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus. And people quickly say, where is it? Well, it meets in 200 locations. We happen to be one. So there is one church, but yet we meet in different congregations. I would even argue that you cannot find Christianity in the New Testament apart from the local church. Anytime people would make steps to Christ, they would also connect themselves to like-minded believers and become and form deep relationships. Uh, you see, there's a word I'm going to use today, and it's the word family. We are to be a Christian family. Listen to the verbiage of 1 Timothy 5. He says, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but treat him as if he were your father. Yeah, treat younger men as but older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. In other words, our relationships should be the love of family. Now, how many know families don't always get along? But when a family member doesn't get along, they don't just walk out and quit and say, Mom, I'm never coming home again. Now, they might walk around the block and think about it, but how many know they're committed to their family? And uh, 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 so this was a picture of the early church. Now, let me jump into the main part of the message. How does a local church family today help us connect to God and grow spiritually? Now, let me say this as I begin. This is not a recruitment to try to get you to join our church. I don't believe everyone that comes to Church on the Rock is called by the Holy Spirit to come. But I do believe there is a place for everyone. There is a church for you where you're on the receiving end and the giving end. And you want to enter that process of finding from the Lord where that place is, and then you become family. So I'm going to give you five things here, five scriptures. The first, a local church family offers fellowship and encouragement to fellow believers. Look at Hebrews 10, 23, and I want you to see the progression here. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In other words, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and don't let anything get them off. Let's serve Jesus every day of our life and never be distracted. Second thing he says, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In other words, this thing's not just about me. But I'm trying to help other people serve the Lord with all their heart. So one day Jesus will say, yeah, well done. But now here's where he, he, he it's contextualized. Don't give up meeting together. 
as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, some people don't go to church. They're not a part of a local church family, and that's where uh, you're helped to hold on to hope. That's where you're encouraged to serve the Lord. Don't do that. But he says, encourage one another. And he says this, do it more as you see the day approaching or the day of Christ's second coming. So the body of Christ growing closer and stronger in deep, committed Christian relationships. And this is God's plan for us. Because listen, just in the last few weeks, I have seen uh, a number of times how Christians need encouragement. Now, I don't know about you, but I need it most every day of my life. I struggle to this day with an anxiety disorder, and I have a few people when it just gets like it's, I've had it about up to here, they just surround me, they encourage me. My wife is my number one, and she gives me something that I just don't have in my own. You know, uh, just recently, someone had a custody case for a child. How I many know that's huge? Somebody went through the pain of a divorce. Somebody lost their job. Somebody's thinking about having to put their mother in a, in, in a home because where she needs greater care. Uh, how many know all these things are tough and they're real and all of them can undermine our faith but it is the encouragement of other believers that are in our world listen if you came up for prayer for one of these issues today I guarantee you the power of the Holy Spirit was here and you left a little more encouraged and helped but how much better it is to have a friend that stays with you during the process and you cannot find deep friends like that just on Sunday you may get to know people's faces, but you've got to connect in these smaller groups. This is why I want you to come Wednesday night. The burgers are great. I'm, that's, not just, that's somewhat of a draw. But you'll have, be exposed to about 40 different places where you can find people that are like you. Let me give you two, uh, before I leave this point, uh, two problems I see in the, uh, uh, the Christian community at large. The first one is we isolate ourselves from church families. It could be because we're busy. It could be we got offended, we were hurt in another church. One day we said we'll never go back, we got disappointed. But let me tell you this about being isolated. Proverbs 18 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, the only person in his world speaking to him is himself or herself. And it is a dangerous thing. Everybody in the room knows that you make better decisions if you're in the context of people that care about you and have a little bit of wisdom. Isolation is dangerous. You're set up for the devil. It's not biblical or healthy. But here's the other negative trend I see. I see a group of Christians that uh, go to lots of different churches, but they're not committed to any one church. And I'm going to tell you why that's important from experience. It's like we're consumers and we choose churches like we choose restaurants. Uh, if I want a burger and I want a really good, I mean, no, there's burgers and there's burgers. Well, my favorite burger is my friends, they, actually, they go to this church over at I-30 Burger on Texas Boulevard. It's off the chart. Uh, in my opinion, the best pizza in town is Joe's Pizza. I mean, he just knows how to make a pizza. I mean, it'll, I don't eat as many pizzas at 62 as I did at 42, but I still eat my share of pizzas. If I want country cooking, where am I going? Cracker Barrel, because, because you know, Bryce is closed. Well, we, we take our tastes, and this makes us consumers, but we do that in church as well. We go here for the worship, and we go here for the sermon series, and here for the kids special. But let me tell you the danger of that. I experienced this firsthand when I was in the Navy. I was in Okinawa, Japan. I was on fire for God. I was 22. I was single. 
And uh, I mean, Jesus was everything in my life. And I was committed to, I think, four different Christian groups that I attended every week. I'd go to an Assembly of God church on Sunday. Uh, I'd go to a Christian's discipleship house, I think, on Monday. Uh, there was even a Catholic charismatic group on Thursday night in the basement of the Catholic church. And I, I would go to that, and it seems like it was one more. And I was just going along. Everybody loved me. They knew my name. But I had a crisis in my life. I had something happen to me that shook my faith in God. And for about two or three weeks, I quit going anywhere. And I just stayed in my little room being depressed. And you know which one of those groups called me? None of them. Now, they love me. But because I wasn't connected like a family, they didn't know. Understand? They didn't know I was having trouble. They only saw me when I showed up. And that's, that's what I've learned. Listen, it's great to go to church. This is not about going to heaven or not, but it's just about the power what can come to us when we find deeply committed relationships in, in local churches. Let me give you the second thing a local church can provide. It makes it easier to engage in our God-given mission. Now, hear me today. If you're a Christian, how many, how many people want to go to heaven when you die? Let me see. Yeah, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go today, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, everybody wants to go to heaven, but how many know there's something that God expects from you before you get to heaven? There's a task. Jesus told us what it is, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus told us to go and make disciples or followers of Christ of all nations. Followers of Christ in Texarkana, followers of Christ in Maud, followers of Christ in Hot Springs and, and uh, Hope and everywhere, everywhere that we go, uh, teaching and baptizing them. So every Christian has this assignment. But here's what I know. I can't do all, I'll do all of it by myself. We're better together. We have a member of our church, his name is Dave Grant. He uh, has a relationship with uh, a, a pastor in India who has a number of underground churches of impoverished people. And uh, uh, India is becoming more hostile to the Christian message. So they tried to get him in one more time before the door was closed. And he's now spending about three weeks and he's visiting all these different churches, teaching them and encouraging the body of Christ. Well, guess what? Before he left, uh, our church sent with him about $8,500 to help them buy necessities for people that don't have anything. I'm talking clean water to drink and those kind of things. Uh, a bed with sheets on it to be able to sleep in. We helped them do that. So this is, this is what we do as church. Whether it's world missions or if you want to help homeless people, you don't have to go create the wheel and figure out where they are. You, we've already got somebody down there. And, and it's doing tremendous things. If you want to reach people in jails. Uh, if you're concerned about kids in our, in, our, in our inner city, we've got five sidewalk Sunday schools that meet twice a week during the school year with four, about 40 kids in each one of them, and they're teaching them the gospel. Uh, if you want to start a Bible club at your school, Pastor Cole is already rolling with it. So my point in all this, in the local church, there's lots of opportunities just to step on where you can get involved and do something significant for Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, let me give you another one that kind of scares me, but it's real, and it's got a great positive benefit. A local church family has spiritual leaders watching over our soul. A spiritual covering. And let me begin by saying, I have a spiritual covering. I have a pastor. He was here a few weeks ago, Pastor Sonny Knatzer, someone that I'm accountable to, uh, someone that many times that I have said, please don't let me mess up. I've been here 30 years. As long as God lets me stay, I want to be able to leave one day and say, I've been honest. I've never stolen your money. I want to be blameless. I've never lied to you. You know, I've never hit on your wife, and I certainly wouldn't hit on your ugly husband. Are you understand today? 
But I need a spiritual covering to help me because I get tempted and pulled and tired and discouraged like everybody else. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, obey your leaders and... Well, who wants to do that? That's as un-American as it comes. But here's the reason. They're keeping watch over your soul. That doesn't mean they're an authoritarian boss. It means they should be a humble man or woman that's spiritually mature, that doesn't want you to do something for them, but just wants to help make sure you stay on the right track. Just like you want your family and your kids to stay on the right track. My, I, I, I've got a daughter, my last, that's not married, and you know she's run into a little fellow that she likes. And uh, brought him to the house. And, and, and I talk with them a little bit about staying on the right track and giving them some, some boundaries that they were already living by, but tell them why it was so important in so many different ways. See, this is what somebody that loves you, what they do. Uh, this idea of watching over your soul, it, it, by definition, it means that there's someone that's alert and concerned about dangers in your life that can hinder your relationship with God. Um, it's a gift. I'm a part of that, but I represent a lot of people in our church that do this. Uh, not only, I, I may be the lead pastor, but we have a gang of pastors that are, that are on our staff. We have elders. We're about to add some more elders. Uh, their primary role is caring and shepherding. Uh, we have uh, board members. We have life group leaders. Anybody that leads a group, anybody that teaches a class, it's not just informational or task, but it's a relational component where we look out for people. Come on now. And make sure that, uh, uh, listen, just like the shepherd watching sheep, if he hears coyotes, how many know he's going to stay awake at night and make sure he's got his night scope? Are you with me today? Because he's watchful and caring. It is a benefit, the idea that someone in my, that there can be someone in my life if I bring them in and allow them to be there. Because nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to force you. But there can be someone in my life that's concerned not only about getting me to heaven, but someone that is concerned about Jesus is going to say, well done to me. And I'll tell you, friends, everybody needs somebody like that. And this is what local church does. Let me give you another one. Uh, the fourth one, local church helps us get back on track with God if we fall away. Now, how many can say uh, we're tempted almost every day of our lives? Come on, both hands, both feet. Linnell, both hands, wave. Don't, you don't get tempted. We all get tempted in life, but the problem is not the temptation. The problem is the temptation, we give into it, and it becomes normalized, justified, and then we find ourselves being pulled away from God. I see this happen all the time. People that were on fire for God, you used to see some of them on the screen, but something happened, life happened, the old happened, the drugs started again, the old boyfriend came back in their life, whatever it was, but something seduced them back into the world. And when that happens to you, the flame of God is nearly dead. Now, you may still be a Christian at your core, but the flame of God is dead and Satan is using you. You need someone to pluck you out of the fire before you get burned up. Well, here's what the Bible says. Galatians 6. Who's it, say, who's it address it to? Say it again. Brothers and sisters. These are people in committed relationship. If another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right track. And I am telling you, I'm listen, I'm thrilled that you're here. We don't do this in small groups. We don't have worship services and, and longer teaching like this. Small groups are more relational. Small groups 
have learning environment, but small groups are where family is developed. And if you will connect in those small groups, I'll tell you, friend, you'll have somebody that knows when your patterns change. You'll have somebody that knows when something's missing and somebody will reach out and help get you back on track. Come on, thank the Lord for that. Give him a, give him a hand. Let me give you one more in this portion. Now, this is how the local church helps our spiritual life. Our local church family covers us in prayer when we're facing spiritual warfare. Now, this is a big one. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul writes this, one of the greatest men of the New Testament. And he says, we, I, we don't want you to be informed, here it is, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, so we despaired of life itself. In other words, so bad, I thought I was going to die. But then he goes on, verse 10, the good news. God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he'll deliver us again. Say this next part. As you help us praying for us. God could do it separate from prayer, but he often chooses to do it in the connection of prayer. When Linnell had cancer, see, we sometimes think that if I just get right with God, I won't have any more problems. Well, that's just not true. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. My wife had breast cancer uh, over five years ago. Praise God, five years cancer-free. Still outworking me. Uh, has, how long has it been? Seven years. Well, that's even better. Where have you been the last two years? I'm just teasing. I couldn't even remember this morning if I took a, a, one of my pills today. <laughs> You've never done that, have you? <laughs> well, anyway, where were we, honey? Oh, yeah, spiritual attack. She had cancer. It devastated us, obviously. But I, I literally felt the prayers of God's people that almost picked us up and carried us. Listen, prayer is powerful. Uh, we have early prayer. We, we did it, Pastor Travis led us 20 days in January uh, every morning from 6.30 to 7.30. Now we're going to keep it up on Fridays right here, having 20 to 40 people. Uh, we pray on a Wednesday lunchtime. Uh, there's prayers before during service twice. I mean, there, and if you turn in one of those little requests, either on the back of your tithing envelope or, or online, there'll be people praying. Now, I'm going to tell you, from experience, that's different than you post your prayer on Facebook and you get two little hands. Now, I'm grateful for the praying hands, but I don't know how much prayer is behind those hands. Come on now. You act like you know what I'm talking about. Let me shift gears these last 10 minutes and, and, and flip it now and ask the question, what does God expect us to do for our local church family? And let me have a, 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 make a confession of the way that I was raised, and I'm ashamed of it now. My mom loved us so much that she not only would cook our meals, but she would clean up after him. Mom had a job. Mom would clean up after him, and mom would even make my bed until I was old enough that I'm not going to tell you how old I was. I feel bad now because I took advantage of mom. I took advantage of mom's love for us. Well, listen, in the same way, we can take advantage of the church family if we're not doing our part. Let me tell you just a few thoughts here. Uh, God expects four things. There's many, but I'm going to look at four. And here's the first and maybe the most important. God expects us all to use our God-given gifts and abilities. In other words, some of what God has given you, which you're good at, 
God wants you to use it in the church family. Let me read you a scripture. First uh, Peter 4.10. Each of you has received a gift to... Yeah, each one of punch your neighbor and say, you're in each one. Come on, I'll give you permission. Give them a little elbow. You're in each one. Some of you are thinking, I'll be assaulting, accused of assaulting someone in church. No, you won't. But then he says, be good servants. So the idea is, is if you don't use your gift, you're not being a good servant of what God's given you. Now listen to a really cool passage, 1 Corinthians 12. He likens the church family to the, body, to the human body. He says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. Just like today, there's a lots of us here, but we're really one body of Christ. And then he says, so it is with the body of Christ. And he gives words, feet, ears, eyes, hands, nose. And he said, all of you together are Christ's body. And each one of you has a part of it. All of us are Christ's body, and each one has a task they're called us to do. And the task is enormous. I was so thrilled when I saw the pictures and heard the testimonies of the youth that went to, on their retreat. What was it, 80-something kids that went up there? But did you know they have, they have 20 leaders that are involved that are not being paid? But they're doing it because they love the Lord and they're a little bit older and they know that they can help make a difference in these kids' lives. I would not be good at that, but I'm good at other things. They have me go upstairs periodically for the younger children. I'm pretty good with about five minutes for the elementary age and then I'm done. But when they put me in the preschool room, it was counted in seconds. I'm telling you, they didn't want to hear anything intellectual. They didn't want to hear the Greek word. They didn't want any of that. All they wanted was the gummies that I have in my pocket sometimes for little kids. You know how that goes. Uh, I, I, was out of my, I was out of my deal. But yet there are some people that love babies and love children and give them love and parenting that they don't get anywhere else. See, we, we minimize what God has entrusted us to do. Have you ever eaten a meal and you put a bite in your mouth and you thought, Oh, I'm not sharing this with my wife. I'm just teasing. I, I said that last week too. That's bad. I, I'm stingy. No, but, but there's some people that can cook. And you think, well, I can't do anything for God. Listen, virtually everything we do as Christians, we eat. Not really. I mean, there's feeding people in the hospital. There's feeding people in the homeless shelter. There's feeding people that are just at a life group or whatever. Uh, my point is, there's something everywhere for everybody to be able to do in the body of Christ to make her strong. Let me give you another point about uh, beyond using our abilities. God expects us to support our church financially. Now, I get this from Malachi chapter 3. It's an abiding principle where the Scripture says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Uh, and then he, bring it so there may be food in my house. So tithing or giving a tenth of our income in the local church family, it's God's idea to support the work that goes on there. Honey, give me my phone right there if you could find it. I want to read something to you because what I want you to see is I want to see the connection that's made between our giving and what's happening. Uh, last uh, December, we had a great month financially. Uh, people honored God with their tithe and other things. Well, we have, we have an outreach fund. Listen, I believe if I'm going to encourage you or teach you the Bible says tithing, I believe our church should tithe. So we're actually up to 13%, so tithe and offerings. 
But we take 13% of whatever you give as a tithe and put it in an outreach fund. Uh, no salaries are taken out of that, no overhead. That's just money that goes out of the four walls of the church. It helps the poor. It supports local ministries. A lot of missions works around the world. And uh, we were blessed in December, and uh, we, we had some money in that outreach account. And I've been talking to Linnell about helping a church in Israel. And uh, uh, we talked around our little circle there, and we decided that we would help these guys. Uh, we sent them $13,500 to pay the rent for a year in a city called Ashtalon. It was one of the Philippine strongholds in the nation of Israel. And now this church is planting churches in all those Philippine strongholds, and the rent for a year was $13,000. And this is what they said, uh, Shalom, such wonderful news. You guys, now let me say this. The, the, the Orthodox rabbis there are praying against them. They're doing organized prayers that their monies would dry up and it wouldn't go well for them at all. And these are committed Christians just like we are. And, and, and we see a responsibility to help our Jewish brothers. He says, you guys just covered the rent for our Ashkelon congregation and humanitarian center for the entire year of 2020. Uh, this is the little church where they're building, and they are constantly helping people, new, new Jews that come back to their homeland, don't have food, don't have place to stay. It is a great, great, great little place there of what's, what's going on. But it says, words can't properly convey how thankful we are for your love and generosity. I'm completely honest when I say that we're not able to impact this nation for Jesus without the help of friends like you. Please convey our heartfelt thanks to everybody at Church on the Rock. And I pray that God will bless you guys according to God's promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. In other words, I'll bless the nation that blesses Israel. We have our own building project. But I'm not going to take God tithing money and put it in ourselves. We want it out into the world to make a difference. And this is what local church does. I mean, we sent uh, Haiti, uh, the nation that has been virtually destroyed by corruption. And I mean, it's horrible down there. You can't imagine how bad it is. And Pastor Jay says, I th my church is back again. I think I'm going uh, to do a, a crusade. While Mardi Gras goes in the secular, I do a crusade. 30,000 people come. And I said, we want to help you. We sent $5,000 to that. Where does that money come from? It comes because you're financially committed to your local church. It's biblical, it's good, and I want to say thank you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand for that today. Let me give you two more quick ones. God expects us to guard the unity in his church. Now, this is a big one. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to know this. If you just come to this church for two or three times, you just find that there is a sense of peace. People are healthy. They're getting along with each other. We're mission-focused. There's order. These things are not accidental. And Satan would do like nothing better than to destroy that. Now listen to what Ephesians 4 says, because this is how we're supposed to live. Now, I'm going to come to the word unity, but listen to what he says first. Be humble and patient. In other words, don't be selfish. Be impatient, not with the chair, but patient with people who rub you wrong. Bear with one another, who those who really rub you wrong, do it in love. And then he says this, make every effort, say it with me, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now why is that? One of Satan's greatest tools to destroy a local church is division. And division happens because people get offended and then they start gossiping. We have disagreements, even over theology or practices. Uh, you know, we take sides, we get our feelings hurt. Because I got news for you. 
when you and I came in this building, this ceased to be a perfect church. This church has problems because it has people. I often say church would be great if it weren't for the people. That's my only joke for the day. If the devil knows he can destroy our unity, God's blessing will cease and Satan will win. And I want to ask you to do this with me. Let's not give him a foothold. Let's recognize that there's something more important than me just, you know, getting my back scratched and everybody agreeing with me all the time. Let's realize that this is something bigger than us. It's for the kingdom of God and its impact in the world. And let's not let Satan destroy it through division. Huh? Come on, give the Lord another good hand. And I wrap up with this, what God expects from us. God expects us to love one another. It's no more simpler than this. Uh, Jesus said this in John 15. This is my commandment. That's a heavy word. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Well, listen, friends. Love is the reason we care. Love is the reason we forgive. Love is the reason I embrace a homeless person. Love is the reason we go to the hospital when somebody's dying. Love is the reason we comfort a family that's had a miscarriage. Love is the reason we reach out to people who have fallen away from God. Love is the reason we get along. It's the reason we do what we do because we follow the example of our Savior. I want to conclude with this one more quick video, but it's from a church member, and it's a little different. It's how the church has impacted his life. His name is James Cole, and uh, he is... Uh, at the men's conference. Listen to, to James's words. Hello, my name is James Cole. Uh, I've been coming to Church on the Rock for about six years now. Before I come to Church on the Rock, uh, I had lost my way in life. I had, you know, looked to the world, you know, to feel that that what was missing in me, and uh, ended up getting addicted to drugs and alcohol, and I went from. Uh, you know, a nice home in the Riverlands to uh, basically uh, hopeless and, and homeless with nowhere to go. I found God and asked him to come into my life uh, from a jail cell in, in Bowie County, you know, from some of the trouble I'd brought on myself. And, uh, and, and I remember that day when I asked him to come into my life, he just, it immediately changed, just like a light come on. When, when I was released there uh, after a few days, uh, I had nowhere to go, so you know, I I ended up down there at church under the bridge and stayed down there a while. Immediately, you know, God started using, I started running into people from church on the rocks, you know, Ron Glazier was everywhere I went, you know, and uh, and Terry Anderson, and you know, and uh, they invited me to church on the rock, started coming here, just learned a lot of things about God, and God was just, just, hmm, uh, working in every, every avenue of my life. Along those same lines, Celebrate Recovery here at Church on the Rock is, 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 is a great program that, that definitely impacted my life. You know, God has, uh, in my life, through Church on the Rock, you know, has, has rebuilt my life and, and given me, you know, a hope and a purpose, you know, uh, and a plan, you know, and, uh, and it's awesome. It just gets better every day. Uh, give him a big hand. Well, this is what we do at church. We help people find God and find a better life. Yeah. Don't you stand to your feet. We're going to close this morning. And as, 
as a church, I want to, if I could just a minute, hang off on Cracker Barrel, okay? Give me five minutes. As a church family, on behalf of the leadership, I want to make a commitment to you today that in this season, in particular as we step towards our new location in the old Gander Mountain building, we're committed to help you connect to God and grow in your spiritual life. We do a pretty good job. I want to do a better job. We want to do a better job at creating opportunities for fellowship and encouragement. If you'll step into these small groups, I think you'll find that it has a powerful potential to give you deep relationships that everybody needs. Come Wednesday night. We're going to give you an easy way to engage in your God-given mission. There's so many ways to help people. Spiritual leaders would do their best to watch over your soul. If you'll get connected with them, you'll have somebody that cares. We'll help you get back on track with God if you fall away. And we will be with you in the place of prayer to fight spiritual battles. Because something I know and something I've found is we're better together. And when we do this thing God's way, big things can happen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let me just encourage you in two things. First of all, if you'd like to be a part of our church and you say, well, how do I do this, Pastor? How do I get connected? How do I get involved? Just go to the connect room right after church while you're thinking about it, right across the hallway, and just say, look, I'm ready to get involved in this church. Tell me what I need to do. And that'll kind of kind of start the process along. I want to encourage you one more thing before we pray. If you're not registered to vote, we have voter registration for Arkansas and Texas in the lobby, the little corner table. Um, they're selling salsa out there for missions, but if you're not yet registered, this may be the last Sunday. We may have one more, but there's just too much going on in America for us not to have a voice as a Christian. Uh, I, I'm looking for candidates that will vote biblical values. I'm going to vote biblical values as best as I can. I'll do my best to teach you what I know. But uh, sign up if you are not registered to vote, or if, you've, if you're new or whatever the case is. But I want to close now in prayer. In just a second, we're going to have men and women up here, our prayer team. There'll be a little more time if you want to talk to somebody or, or if you just need some more prayer before you go. They're here. But there's one really important prayer that I would like to pray. That if you're here today and say, Pastor John, uh, my heart's been touched by God today. Uh, but let me say this to you. A church can't get you to heaven. Just because mom and dad went to church or took you to church, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You see, the starting place is believing in Jesus and following him. See, just like this chair I told you about earlier, there were four big priorities for your spiritual life. The first one was with your relationship with God. Well, here's the thing most people don't know. We're not automatically born with a relationship with God. Now, we can look in the sky and we can see the beauty of a sunrise or we can see the, you know, a beautiful rainbow and, and, and reinforces that there is a creator and a sustainer of life. But that's not a relationship. There's a problem why we don't have relationship with God. It's because of what that cross represents. It represents our sin. I've sinned, you've sinned, everybody's sinned. We're all sinners. Some are worse than others. But it's our sin that keeps us away from God. It is our sin that will one day send people to hell. And there's only one way to deal with that sin. You can't do enough good works. Listen to what the Bible says. You're saved by grace, God's kindness. You're saved by grace through faith, your belief in God. Uh, you're saved by grace through faith. Uh, not by works, lest any should boast, because it's all a gift from God. And the gift from God is Jesus Christ. 
If you can look at that cross and remember 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and he said, this is my life's mission, to down the cross for the sins of humanity. And what Jesus offers to us today is to take our place of judgment. That literally, you can receive the forgiveness of Christ for sins. And on judgment day, you won't be judged to a real place called hell, but you'll have eternity in life uh, in relationship with God in heaven with Jesus Christ. But there's a starting place with that. And it starts as it did in my life. I was raised in church. Church didn't get me to heaven. I lived kind of, if the cross represents Jesus, I knew he was real. I believed in God, but I kind of went my way doing my thing. And every once in a while, I look back and say, I got a problem. Will you help me? And as soon as the problem was fixed, I kept going my way. But something happened. There was a defining moment in my life when I realized what I thought would make me happy didn't do it anymore. Playing ball and going out with girls and you know, driving a nice car and all those things, drinking and all. It, 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 it left me with an emptiness that I came to realize was a God-shaped hole in my heart. And one day I was fortunate because someone would told me that Jesus Christ could fill that spiritual void in your life. Jesus Christ could give you a brand new start if you'd be willing to do two things. If you'd be willing to turn your heart to him and pray and ask forgiveness. And number two, to commit your life to follow him. Not just reach out to him when you're in trouble but to become a follower. And it was August 15th, 1976 that I committed my life to Jesus Christ and it changed me forever. And I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, that's exactly what I need. I need to commit my life to Christ. I want to follow him the rest of my days. Whether it's a first time commitment or you've gotten away from God, you want to commit your life to Jesus today and you want the rest of your life to be lived as a follower of him. If that's you, let me know who you are so we can pray. Would you just lift your hand, wave at me real quickly? Say, I want to get my life right with God. Pray for me, Pastor. Yeah, I see your hand, dear. God bless you today. Others, uh, just lift your hand and just say, pray for me. Pray for me. I, I, I want to commit my life to Christ. God bless you too, pal. Others here today, pray for me. I, I, God bless you. God bless you, you too. Anyone else today? Say, I want to commit my life to Christ. God bless you, sir. I'm proud of you. Others, say, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want, to become a fo- I want to become his follower. You say, well, why are you doing this this way? Isn't this private? Well, here's the deal. You don't just live for Jesus in private. If you can't live for Jesus where people will clap your hands, how in the world would you stand up for Christ when you're out in the world that's laughing at you and making fun of you? Listen, if you're here and you want our prayers, I'll ask one more time. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to give my heart to Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to tell anybody. Anybody else today? All right, well, praise the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They'll be here to pray for you. And you that lifted your hands, I want to encourage you to slip over to the cross over here. And someone will meet you there to pray for you as you make this great step of your life. Come on, give them one more big hand. You that lifted your hand, come let us pray for you today. Come let us pray for you today. We'll meet you at the cross and uh, stand with you. And whether you raise your hand or not, you need to get right with God. You come and we'll meet you here. I love you and thanks for coming. Sing this last song before you go.